Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you a regular dose of positive news stories and fabulous interviews. Hi! We are bringing you a four-part mini-series from our recent Queer Talk Live shows. Throughout the year, Mufsin and I have hosted a live version of the podcast at Above the Stag Theatre in Foxhall, South London. In this half of the episode, we sit down with Carrot and Bojangles after their phenomenal acts to learn more about their art and how they experience drag culture. And later, the audience are invited to ask questions as well. So this is the part of the show where we find out, you know, how they got there, why are they so talented, why we all hate them, why we're jealous. Um, And we try and pick up as many tips as possible um, so we can become, you know, drag greatness too, if that's the journey we want to go on. I want to know, how did you both get into drag? I know you both have a bit of a background in performance and the arts, but I want to know how we got (laughs) to this. Bo, do you want to go first? Yeah, so I didn't actually come from the 1940s. You'll be what? shocked. No way. Yeah, I know, I know. Sorry, everyone. The illusion has been shattered. Oh I was going to ask God. you a skincare routine. <laughs> retinol, babe, retinol. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so how did I get into drag? I, when I started, you know, exploring my sexuality, um, I started to, you know, be a bit more in, like, queer spaces online. Uh, and I found out that drag kings were a thing because nobody tells you. Nobody tells you. Uh, and then as soon as I saw what it was, I was like, I have to do that. Like, I just had this sense I have to do that. And there's this amazing drag king collective called Pex. And they were running a series of workshops. Um, and my friends all chipped in and for my birthday, like, got me a place on it. Uh, so they're my daddies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Daddies. Not that in that way, you dirty okay. bastards. <laughs> that was my uh, next question. <laughs> and yeah, it went from there. Open mic nights, and then people see you and they like you. And then I did Man Up, which is a drag king competition. I didn't place because the judges were out of their minds. Uh, <laughs> but as I say to my friend who came like third this year, you know, he's Joe McEldry on One Direction, you know. <laughs> And Carrot. Me. How did yes. we get here? How did I start? On um, a spaceship? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I did one of those really useless, pointless things called a drama degree. <laughs> and um, then was like, well, there we go. That was that. Uh, no, I didn't really... I always wanted to be a performer, but as I started to do performing more, I started to realise that there weren't any roles for me as a performer. Like, I never really found anything. I never saw any, like, sort of gender fluidy or, like, campy performers or anything like that. So when I came to London to study drag, uh, study (laughs) study drama, (laughs) and then I saw drag, I was like, ah. And and I started to realise, like, oh, in drag, you can play anyone you want. You can be anything you want. You don't have to fit into a certain role. So that was what drew me to drag. And so, yeah, you could cla- give it up for drag. Uh, and then I 
did a course at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern called The Art of Drag. And it's run by a lovely drag queen called Michael Twaits. Um, and learned a lot about drag, but mostly it just facilitates you to create your own persona and then perform in a showcase at the end, which was my first performance at the RVT, which was fun. Yeah. I guess in day-to-day life, we all perform masculinity and femininity. Why did you decide to perform as a carrot? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You have kings, you have queens, you have vegetables. And that's me. I'm a vegetable. And uh, no, I, I think that when I, I was like starting out in drag, I always knew I wanted to have a one thing name, like a one word name. Do you know what I mean? Like Cher or other ones. <laughs> Madonna? And, uh, who was I thinking? Yeah, Beyonce. And like um, in drag, like Milk. Do you know what I mean? Something like that that was very like simple and memorable. And I just came, we were listing things um, uh, in, that you find in the house as like, because I wanted it to be something every day, something that didn't have anything specific, but that evoked me in some way. So I went for. Um, carrot, because we were listing things we found in the kitchen. Actually, I nearly went for spatula. <laughs> spatula. No, no, but I love it because it's so plosive. Spatula. <laughs> but I do actually think nowadays it would have been kind of apt because a lot of my jokes do seem to fall flat. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. We love self-deprecating humour. <laughs> um, Bo, absolutely handsome, very masculine. Where did the character of Bo come from? Um, yeah, so I, um, I don't know, I think, I think there was a time in my life where I felt like in order to survive, I kind of had to perform this, you know, everyday drag, as I called it, which was this femininity and all of this. Uh, but what I repressed is there were all these the moments in my childhood where, like, there was a period when I was 10 when I really wanted to be Usher. <laughs> <laughs> I only remember this, like, fucking two months ago, I was at this party, and I thought I want to be Usher one day, like... Um, and like I was always like I was always like playing the boy roles like at school I went to an all-girls school and so like I I just really got into I love playing these really arrogant masculine kind of roles Um, and I really wanted to evoke this kind of 1940s jazz singer old Hollywood kind of persona because I loved the clothes I'd always look at men walking around and be like if I were a dude, I'd dress so much better than them. Uh, young mean, kind of not quite exploring the gender thing. So it became a way for me to explore the masculine side of myself and unlock that a bit and realize that that was okay to lean into more heavily. Um, and also I saw this play called Five Guys Named Mo, which I fucking hated so much. Uh, <laughs> I just thought it was all the worst tropes about black masculinity rolled into one. There's literally one drunk, rageful mess of a man who's awful to his girlfriend, and that's his whole personality. And then five genial, sexless, tap-dancing black guys, and that, that was it. And I saw it with my sister. We're the only like people of color in the audience. We were just like, no. <laughs> um, but I loved the music, and I loved what I felt it could have been, and so I wanted to portray my ba- my blackness and my masculinity with a bit more nuance. Amazing. So, Carrot, you are the founder of the NB Show. Mm-hmm. Applause for the NB Show. 
Three cheers. <laughs> That's good. The MB Show is a cabaret night for um, entirely non-binary performers. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, in a very cis-dominated industry. So I love that you're out here stirring things up and hopefully pissing some people off. <laughs> um, so when you started the MB Show, did you expect for it to reach the level that it has? And, and what's your favorite part about putting this all together and, and bringing these people uh, you know, onto a platform? What a cute question. The MB show, yeah, I didn't, no, I didn't expect it to, to get to the level it did. I didn't expect people to be quite as on board as they were. I knew that there was a gap. I knew, I, I knew like a lot of people, that, um, you know, promises were made during the pandemic that lineups were going to be diverse and that drag kings were going to be platformed and that, alternative types of drag were going to be platformed and that li- and shows were going to be inclusive. And we came out and it was the fucking same as it was before. It was the fucking same. Uh, so I was looking around like, what the, f- this is bullshit. And there is clearly a gap for this. There needs to be more like shows that center inclusion, accessibility at their heart. And why is, does this not exist? Um, and why can they, th- why do they, why is there this weird sort of opinion that those shows don't sell? I, I, I don't understand that. I don't get that. My, I don't, I personally don't want to go, and, no, I'm not going to go down that route. <coughs> no, no. Uh, no. <laughs> Which venues? I personally don't want to go and see a lineup of six drag queens that all look and sound the same doing pretty much the same performance to the same 10 songs with the same 150 gay white men in the room. Like, it's boring to me. And like, that, I don't know, I didn't mean to gesture that's not a personal attack on any of you. If it is, then it is. If you took it as one, then it is. Um, but uh, no, I, I think that there was room for something that could maybe take to a mainstream platform, or not mainstream, but like a big stage, bigger stages, um, and take up that space. So uh, that was the idea. And so I just sort of created it thinking, nothing to lose. I've come out of this lockdown now. Might as well do it. You know, I'll put on this show. And then there were these people, this whole community were like, oh my God, finally. Something that I can see myself in, finally, something that represents people. And I was, yeah, it just shows like we've sold out, um, I think, seven of our now nine shows. Um, and, you know, to me, it shows that diversity, accessibility, and like lineups that include more than cisgender male drag queens are profitable and are entertaining and are professional and uh, can sell out big venues. That's it. I don't I forgot the question. I just went on a rant. No, we'll just let you You talk. answered it. You <laughs> answered it perfectly. Great. But um, for Bo, I've se- I, like, you were actually my first drag king. I told you this out backstage. Anyway, I know. I was very gentle with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've heard of drag kings before, seen them on screens, 
but never in real life on stage. So I saw you as my first drag king on stage and I was blown away. But we're seeing a big uprising, aren't we? Since like probably 2018, is that fair to say? Yeah, of yeah. Of more and more drag kings on stage? 100%, we love to see it. I think the more visible we get, the more people realize that A, it's a thing, and B, that it's a thing that they might like to do themselves, um, which has been really wonderful. Um, it's been really lovely seeing how many Especially like in the lockdown, a lot of people on their own in their homes exploring themselves, not just wanking, but also, <laughs> uh, you know, in a deeper sense. And there was also a lot of, anyway. Um, and I think that people kind of came out of the lockdown and they, with a different idea about what they wanted to do in their own gender and sexuality. Um, and even before then, there was a lovely boom. We still don't have like the representation that it would be great. Um, but it's quite interesting that we're seeing a boom in drag kings now. There was one as well in like the 90s, and then there was one in Victorian music hall era, like the highest paid performers of the days, or your, your Vesta Tillies, your Hetty Kings, they were drag kings. Um, watch Tipping the Velvet, it's campus tits, very miscast Keeley Hawes, and a very badly animated spinning rose. But <laughs> it's all about like Victorian lesbians, Victorian drag, uh, drag kings. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we kind of, I think we get an explosion of drag kings weirdly as like a reaction to when things start to feel a bit more oppressive. Like we're kind of seeing a spike in like, um, you know, homophobic and transphobic hate crimes and things like that. And I think under those conditions, marginalized people innovate and create as a way to survive the reality. So I think that's particularly true at the moment for drag kings and, and non-binary and trans performers and performers of color and yeah. Do you find? Do you find the drag king scene in London quite supportive of each other? They're so lovely. <laughs> They're so lovely. Like, it's so funny when we were doing Man Up, the drag king competition, and, like, um, the, the people who run it, the Glory, who are, like, drag queens, were coming backstage. We were, like, lending each other stuff. And, like, they're, oh, my God, Bestie, you look so cute. And they were, like, this is a competition. And we were, like, well, these are almost similar. We love each other. Like, yeah, we're, we're very supportive. We gas each other up. We, um, we yeah, we support, I think, you know, when, when you're less represented and when it doesn't seem like as much of a competition, because none of us are fighting to get on certain TV shows that won't be mentioned. So we don't feel like we have to, like, you know, trip each other up or anything, I guess. We can just exist. So do you think that's happening in the drag queen scene, that they're all kind of competing to be on certain shows we won't mention? I think some drag queens. I don't think the drag queen scene, like I've performed with a lot of drag queens. So many of them are so lovely, such allies, always platforming us and passing the mic and bigging us up. And we love to see that. You know, there are there are some who are like that, but you know, I, I don't associate with them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, touching on that, I speak about this a lot, especially on the podcast. We quite often perform and talk to our own circles and so we feel kind of safe you know this is a safe space we feel good tonight but then we go back outside and people still are confused by us and kind of question us so I wanted to know um what kind of feedback you both get outside of the shows and do you feel do you feel like people are learning from you because you're not drag race drag go on carrot learning <laughs> you know I didn't I didn't come into drag to teach anybody a lesson do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not here to, to teach anybody anything. Like, my identity it does not mean that I have to be your teacher. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, I just want to live my life and exist. 
I'm not out here to teach anybody any lessons. Um, but uh, if, you know, by platforming people and by living my life as a happy, queer, gender-fluid drag performer, um, that's teaching people that that's a possibility, then great. I think that's all I have to say. <laughs> For me, I've been lucky recently to sort of be booked. I'm lucky. Recently, I've been doing a few more of like the Hun brunches and like the the kind of the the cabaret shows where maybe there's a couple of Rue girls headlining or like at least very prominent. You know, you have tens of thousands of Instagram followers, kind of queens, or hundreds of thousands. Um, and like sometimes you do feel like you're there, like so that they can go to to the little diversity box. They're like, we have a drag king, and they're brown. And they're non-binary. And they're from the 1940s. There's not a lot of us <laughs> on the scene. I know. Very marginalised group. But I feel like, you know, you, you know you're getting paid a lot less than other people probably are. And, you know, you, you kind of... People forgetting your name and confusing you for other brown drag kings all the time. But, um, you know, you, the Huns are there. All your straight girls and all your all your cis gay guys, they're there. And you come on stage and they're like, okay, bathroom break or whatever. They're like, not the, the, before you've even had a chance to do anything. And then they kind of like stop the conversation and kind of look at you. And then by the end, like, just they, people are kind of with you. And then the straight girls won't leave you alone, which is then another problem. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, because, yeah, because then you're like, you say hi to them when you're out of drag, and they're like, oh, get away from me, you fucking lesbian kind of thing. But <laughs> when I look like this, they're keen, but not after. But anyway, it's a very long-winded <laughs> answer to your question. It's overall good feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> people, I think people don't know what they like until they've seen it. You know, and then I think people have ideas of they won't like it because I don't know why, but they so just think they, they just won't. don't know it. They just don't know, and then they actually open themselves up to them. Like, actually, yeah, okay, I can vibe with this. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to ask with uh, drag queens. I think we're all very familiar with different types of drag queens, so pageant look queens, the comedy queens. But um, with drag artists and drag kings, like, it, are there certain categories, labels? Ooh, L word. But are there certain like love the L word? Different. <laughs> 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 hey, I found my people. <laughs> but like, um, there's clearly a big, diverse crowd of drag kings and performers. How would you describe the different types of drag kings and performers there are out there? I think there are fewer labels in general. Like, I think a lot of the pageant queen, comedy queen labels have kind of been imports from the States. Like, I don't really think we had that so much in the UK before that was a thing. Like, we had a lot of queens, it was comedy, and you'd have your kind of ropey bird at the working men's club and that kind of thing. So I think that's almost kind of been, like, as a cultural import in a way. But I think as well, like, when you're the kind of performance style that hasn't yet been gentrified, you aren't behoven to as many expectations. So I think you can be a bit more with it and just do kind of whatever the fuck you want. Um, a lot of drag kings do strip and they're very hot. I once unbuttoned my top button <laughs> and as you can see, I've rolled up my sleeves. <laughs> that's my version of a striptease. But <laughs> so that's yeah. all we need, that's all we need. It's like the stripping and the non-stripping drag kings. I think that's the only category that, and I think Kara could probably say more about like other. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, like... <laughs> Harrod, do you strip? 
I've been known to. Yeah. Somebody get carrot a few more white wines. Yeah. Um. Pending. Um, no, what well, I think, you know, I don't understand why you, as an artist, would want to pigeonhole yourself into anything. Like, what's that achieving other than just limiting yourself and, like, giving people expectations for what you're going to do? It's just kind of like, you know, to me, like, deciding that you're anything is kind of boring. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're in terms of artistry, like, uh, why would a painter who does, like, you know, is known for doing very realistic paintings, but one day they fancy, like, doing something a bit out there, they can't. They're used to realistic paintings. No one's going to buy the out there one. Why not just be a painter? I don't know. <laughs> Was that good? I don't know. Let's, or all, like, let's all be painters. Or it's better. No, this is a better one. If you're a chef and you're known for cooking a really good meal, like why don't you be known for cooking really good food in general? Yeah? yeah. Okay. We got there. We got there. <laughs> so slightly controversial question. Um, speaking about labels, do you kind of think that things will change around the labels of drag king, drag queen. Do you think, you know, we'll be moving towards, you know, we're all just drag artists? Um, do you feel like those binaries hold people back or put people into boxes? Um, I know we have drag king and a, a drag artist on the stage, but where are you at with that? Yeah, I mean, I feel really strongly about it, to be honest. I think that, like, um, you see a lot of shows like advertising drag queen brunch, drag queen bingo, drag queen this, drag queen that. And it's kind of like, yeah, for like a while, drag has been related with the word queen. But I think that we are moving away from that and that that wasn't always there. It's been kind of brought onto the concept of drag and the idea of it. So we can redefine that, I think. And I do think that drag performers, drag artists, drag, just drag, it's drag. It doesn't need to be queens, kings, this, that, vegetables, whatever, things. And uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be any of that. I'm not a thing. <laughs> I'm just a, you know, I'm a drag artist. I do drag. So I don't think you need to like, it's, like I said before, like why do we have to pigeonhole it? It's drag. What if a drag queen one day wants to grow a moustache? Are they still what they were? Or do they then suddenly become a thing? Do you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, don't pigeonhole it. I think that we're at a level now where we can move past giving everything the queen label. And also the idea that, just before I <laughs> pass on to you, the idea that like, that we go immediately to queen when we say drag. Do you know what I mean? That's really problematic. That's ex excluding so many different types of drag, so many different people. Like you're ridding yourself of so much artistry if all you see drag as is queens. So just expand it. It's artists, it's drag. Absolutely. Um yeah, I think that people are always going to identify with certain labels that feel right for them, whether that's queen, king, performer, artist. Like, I describe myself as a drag king and a drag artist, drag performer, whatever, you know. But, um, yeah, it's like, what gets me is when people hear drag and think queen. Like, I think certain shows, don't call yourself drag something, like drag race. 
Uh, excuse me, <clears throat> something in my throat. Uh, if you just call it drag queen race, if that's what it is, you know, like yeah. be honest about it. If you can exclude a whole swathe of performers, then put that on the tin. That's fine. That people can buy it and know what they're eating, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think that just go with the label that feels right for you at the time. Don't be afraid to switch labels and don't feel that that label confines you to a certain aesthetic or style of performance. Like, you know, be a drag queen who's butch, be a femme camp drag king, just do whatever. Yeah. It's like the same as gender, isn't it? In general, yeah. drag reflects society. Yeah. You can be a man, you can be a woman, you can be non-binary. And you could be anywhere in between and all of those things. And when you're any of those things, you can present yourself in any way. And drag is exactly the same. That's 100%. it. Um, just final question before we go to Q&A. How can us non-drag people, you know, look, look down on us if you want to. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, how can we support more drag performers and drag kings, like non-drag queens, I guess? How? 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 It's a very simple question. With your fucking money. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think? There you go. There's yeah. your takeaway, guys. Yeah. Also, just like anything as simple as like an Instagram follow or a share or whatever, like a lot of gigs are booked off how many followers you have. So it's actually, mm -hmm. you know, as, as much as it's slightly dystopian, a little bit Black Mirror, um, that can really affect like the gigs you get and the spaces you can get into. So that's that's free. That doesn't cost a thing. Yeah. Um, that also, yeah, just like money. Also, like just going to shows that you might not normally go to, like just... See, okay, I loved all these, you know, shows that I've been to that has this kind of performer, but let's, you know, let's take a little step out of my box. So yeah, um, and do that. And also, um, I know if you want to support Carrot, they really want a white wine. That oh. is one easy thing you can do right now to support a drag <laughs> performer. That is good, yes. Okay, make some noise for Bojangles and Carrot. <laughs> Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So if they didn't answer all of uh, the questions that you've got in your mind, let's go to the audience to find out. I'm going to fucking fall. Uh, let's go to the audience to find out what you want to know. There's uh, a fist over there. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Bo, uh, you were talking about uh, drag brunches earlier. Obviously, they're a big thing on the gay scene now. They're really feral. They're really noisy. I really loved uh, your performances tonight, but it, it was quite an intelligent performance that you had to listen to. There's a lot of clever jokes in there. I, when you mentioned drag brunches, I just thought, what on earth does Bo do full of shit-faced people on bottomless mimosas yeah. in Peckham? Do you, have a diff do, do, do you like have a different set for that kind of show? 
I'll tell you something, uh, you know, there's, there's this magic thing in the industry. If you do anything, if you do WAP, the Huns lose their mind. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter if you do it in 1940, you know, they hear like, you know, I want to spit, I want to gag, I want to choke and all that. And they're like, they're up for it. So even if they're not listening to the jokes, they come for that. And also you just got to read the room and edit what you're saying. And like, I'll start to talk and they're all talking over me, but there's just like a real power in just actually like being a bit quiet and a bit, because then suddenly people are like, wait, what's going on? And they kind of tune in a little bit. So it's kind of about about that. Um, and yeah, and then just whap, they fucking lose their shit. So <laughs> that's the intelligent highbrow patter that you were referring to. It's worth mentioning as well, like a good artist is a good artist and a good artist will be able to work with whatever crowd they are given. So like, like you say, you edit, you like do the little quieter bits and that gets the attention, you know, you work with what you're given and you make it work. You respond to the room, like I called all of you out for not having been near, you know, Volvers in a while. So you just, you see what you got, especially if you're in the front row, this is a splash zone in Cabaret. <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> the L word response made it a bit, you know, convoluted for me. <laughs> Hi, uh, it's for both of you. I, I did wonder, so, I so I see a lot of drag. I see a lot of alternative drag, but I also I I do I like I watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I do. I can't. I know it's horrid, but it I is. Uh, don't tell anyone. Um, I do wonder what you think if so when people that you like you respect you love you perform with. What do you think if they do end up on RuPaul's Drag Race? Do they apply? What like what are what are your views on kind of queens or kings or not not kings uh, <laughs> no, what, what drag race are you watching ah no it's not the same <laughs> one um but anyone going and applying for RuPaul's Drag Race I'd, I want to know or oh, bio queens like like Victoria Victoria's gone uh mm. what are you what are your opinions what do you think secure the bag get it like, yeah I get we're, it we're all just out here trying to stay alive like you know for real like get your money get paid you know whatever no hate anything like there's um yeah, quite a lot of queens on the UK, Drag Race, who I know, um, and they're really lovely. And I know that they are also allies to, to um, you know, other kinds of underrepresented drag. Um, <laughs> and a lot of them, when they get their platforms, they invite us with them. You know, like we did a tour with Bimini and, and Ginny. Um, yeah, you were there. Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. Um, yeah, and they're, and they're really lovely. I was a bit vexed because I wanted to be the only non-binary vegan from Norfolk on the drag scene. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, turns out this town's big enough for two. I survive this <laughs> town. I mean, nobody knows me. Bimini's got hundreds of thousands of followers. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, just no hate. Just um, yeah, just you know, when when you get to those upper levels, send the lift down for the rest of us, effectively. Yeah. Do we have any more questions? I thought you both were amazing tonight. So question for <laughs> question for Bo, like walking into a queer space and hearing Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday mentioned was super cool for me as a big jazz fan. And I guess I why the 1940s? And is there anyone from that era who you've really pulled inspiration from? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the the jazz era um, and old Hollywood, like my name comes from, one of the things I hate more than anything is when people sing um, Mr. Bojangles to me because it's actually not where my name comes from. And like inside I'm like slowly murdering them. <laughs> it actually comes from Bill Bojangles Robinson who was um, a dancer and an actor who was the first black American man who was allowed 
by Hollywood to play a love interest. Before a certain time, black men weren't allowed to play on love interest because of awful overhanging views about um, you know, black masculinity and um, you know, predatorishness. So that was, that was, that was sort of, he's one of my huge influences. Um, and Cab Calloway is the biggest influence for me. Cab Calloway and Anderson Pack, not from the 1940s, but you gotta love him. Um, and yeah, people like your fat swallow, like that kind of vibe, like it just speaks to me like um, Billie Holiday. I feel like I wanna embody some of her energy, even though she's like more femme, she has this really fucking cool, like I'm, I'm, I'm here energy that I love. Like she is like my favorite performer of all time. So like everyone from there is kind of who inspired me. Hello, gorgeous people. So I have a question for the both of you is, slightly controversial might be but i feel mm. as queer people as well are very fixated on the binary and even within the queer niches there is like a slight obsession with binaries like what can we do as performers as people as a community to make sure that our spaces are diverse enough and that we keep on pushing for this diversity because i feel as though as a queer artist that sometimes like we're so obsessed with even when it comes to the trans community like it's either barbie or ken but what about the people in between like how can we make sure that we all are represented and then we not pushing for the binaries even within you know a, a marginalized community i think that there has been some baby steps taken recently and that's worth noting but i think for any meaningful change to happen there needs to be some giant fucking leaps like we do uh, you know there needs to be like more people um, from these marginalized communities and alternative types of drag being platformed and headlined. And and not just from drag, but from all types of queer performance. Um, and just making sure that like every show is diverse. Like one king on the lineup does not make a show, does not a diverse show make. Uh, like, and one person of color on the lineup does not a diverse show make. Um, we need to make sure that it's accessible. And on top of that, it's accessibility is activism in that by making something accessible to everyone, you're making sure that those people see themselves and they have a voice and they're represented. So the same goes for disabled folk, people who have accessibility issues, neurodivergence, I want to see image descriptions on pictures. I want to see BSL as a norm. I want to see, like, you know, everyone deserves drag. Disabled people deserve drag. Deaf people deserve drag. Everyone deserves it. <laughs> Women deserve drag. Non-binary people deserve drag. And not just this, like, watered-down version of drag that, or, and not to like shit on like little cabarets that happen in back rooms because that's where we all begin. And I love those rooms and those spaces and I always will and I'll always be there. But like, we deserve the money. We deserve to be up there. We deserve the platforms and the voices. Yes, we've got the baby steps. We've got a king in the bougie drag bunches, but we don't, we need, we need giant leaps. That's all. 100%. Um, I think audience goers underestimate their power. Like, you know, vote with your wallet. Like, if, mm. if people get a bit sick of seeing the same kind of people on lineups, then promoters will think differently. You know, if you message promoters and say, hey, I, I love your shows. Like, I would love to see a show where you had, you know, more 
alternative kinds of drag or underrepresented kind of drag. And if you go and book shows with the kind of performers you haven't seen before, like you might just discover a new favorite and you might show those producers that these are actually financially viable because all these people see as dollar signs. Yeah. You know, some of the people that run some of the biggest drag platforms that bring the Rugals over, they're buying third holiday homes. Yeah. They're checking out the Jaguars. And this is literally from someone's Instagram. <laughs> <today>. <laughs> this, this is not today. a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, they're like, can I give the drag king an extra 50 pounds so that they can get their train ticket? I don't know. Yeah. So. <sighs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, just vote with your feet, vote with your wallets, like vote with your social media engagements effectively. Mm-hmm. Just diversify who you're following and, and what you're going to. And you'll enjoy it more because um, you'll see all these different types that you didn't even know you liked. We really learned a lot about drag on that night, didn't we? I mean, Drag Race always gets brought up time and time again, and I love seeing people's reactions when you're like, would you ever go on Drag Race? But, you know, it's important to remember that there is more than one space for drag, and Drag Race is not the only platform that exists. And, um, yeah, it's vital that we support drag outside of the mainstream and also supporting real queer talent. Both Bo and Kara brought the fucking vocals tonight, and we were just like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of wasn't expecting it i've seen bits and pieces of them before but to see them live up in the flesh was was next level it was a full-on like full-on show and both of them like you said both of them can sing but both of them are just hilarious as well you know that they, they are redefining drag and doing it so well and if you don't already follow bojangles but you can follow bojangles on bojangles drag on Instagram. And of course, Carrot is everywhere. So you can follow Carrot at, at Carrot Drag on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also find Carrot in your local Tesco, Aldi, or Morrison's <laughs> in the vegetable aisle. And don't forget to let us know you listen to the show on socials. We're on Instagram at queer underscore talk, and on Twitter, we are at queer talk underscore. Until next time, bye! bye. Your vocals, I, I need tried, a bit of work. I tried to match their vocals, but I don't.